The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans 8, verse 9. Romans 8, verse 9, the Spirit is life. Now, in life, some things make all the difference, don't they? Some things just make all the difference, right? If you're cooking, the right amount of salt in a, in a savory dish make, can make all the difference uh, in how it tastes. You're roasting coffee. The right roast of the particular beans brings out the, uh, the perfect flavor in, in those distinct notes of the beans. You're working on a project. The right tools can make the project uh, go faster, more efficiently. It can make all the difference in the world. If you have a large yard and you're mowing the grass, then a riding lawnmower is a game-changing upgrade to a, a, a push lawnmower, isn't it? Except in these days where gas prices are like through the roof, uh, you know, maybe you can't even afford to use your gas mower, and so you need to find an alternate method of mowing your grass. You're like, well, I don't want to go backwards and use one of those like rotary mowers. You ever, anybody ever have to mow with one of those? Like back in the day, some of y'all still mowing with those rotary mowers, right? Well, I've been looking for an alternate method, and so a friend actually sent me uh, this, uh, this thing found on Facebook Marketplace. said, well, I can't afford gas. Here's an electric lawnmower. Although the more you look at that, if it, if it doesn't quite make sense, let me just say that's not the difference maker you want in mowing your grass. It would make a big difference, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, probably not the difference that we want when it comes to mowing our grass. And here's the thing. When it comes to faithfully following Christ and obedience, uh, there's a difference maker that is, or there's, uh, there's some things that make all the difference. What Romans has been bringing out to our attention, or would if we were reading it here, our attempts to keep the Mosaic Law didn't work. Our best efforts to do more good than bad don't measure up. And we can search for all the right therapies, all the right techniques, all the right tricks of following Jesus. And yet we can still and will always still come up short. And that's why our text today interjects for us and brings to us the difference maker in faithfully following Jesus. So turn in your Bibles there to verse 9 through 11, and I just want to read it. And when I'm done, I want you to see if you can tell me uh, what I'm talking about, okay? I'm going to read the three verses, and you tell me if you can see what's repeated here in the text. Romans 8, beginning in verse 9, says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now this is God's word for God's people. Now, as you uh, listen to the text or read through it yourself, as I was reading it, what's the repeated thing in those three verses? Or should I ask, who is the repeated thing in these verses? The Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who is the difference maker in our salvation. 
If you're writing uh, down notes, if you've grabbed those, that's the center point of this text. That is what uh, the, uh, the Lord, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Paul writing to us, here's what's at the center, that the Holy Spirit is the difference maker. See, it is the Spirit that changes everything. If it is Christ who changes our place and our position, as he came to this earth and lived that life that we couldn't live perfectly and died the death in our place, his work changed our place or our position before the Lord, our standing with him. But it is the Holy Spirit who changes us, who changes and grows us in our progress, who grows us in our sanctification in uh, the Lord. See, in the Trinity now, the Holy Spirit is the change agent. He makes things happen, particularly in our salvation. He is the one who, uh, who brings new life to us at the moment of our regeneration. He is the one who then grows us in our sanctification and guides us, and he is the one who resurrects us at our glorification. And so notice here how the Spirit is highlighted, although the Trinity is at work, even in the verses, is repeated over and over here, the members of the Trinity. Here is the Spirit, right? Verse 9, and then it's called the Spirit of God. And then later in the verse, the Spirit of Christ. Christ being in his Spirit is life. Spirit of him, it's Jesus. Christ Jesus, Spirit, it's all over the place and repeated here. See, the members of the Trinity are distinguishable but inseparable. Unity existing between them, yet a diversity in their roles and responsibilities and how they, uh, how they interact with us as humans. And listen to this just brief kind of description. I think it's a helpful uh, dis, uh, dispi- or de- description. That's the word I'm looking for. Description by Wayne Grudem in a a very helpful book called Christian Beliefs, 20 Things Every Christian Should Know. Just listen to this, how he uh, speaks particularly about the role of the Trinity in our salvation. Listen to this. He says, different roles within the Trinity can also be seen within our salvation. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whom he sent into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. Those verses that we love, right, from John 3, 16 and 17. Of his role, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that will was that Jesus die for our sins so that we didn't have to. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to bring completion to the work the Father and the Son had started, end quote. And it is that work now that our text really highlights here in in, uh, Romans 8 for us this morning. These three works then of the Holy Spirit that change everything. See, the Spirit as the difference maker in our walk with Christ. Here he has three distinct roles has highlighted here. And the first is this. He dwells in us. That's why we can say, if you're writing down notes there, I think it's actually missing on your written down notes, but write this here. It's on the screen. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in me, I bear spiritual fruit. The first work, and we see this actually repeated uh, multiple times in the text, that the Spirit dwells in us. Because He does, then I bear, we bear this spiritual fruit. Now verse 9 is picking up the thoughts from verses 7 and 8 that were said negatively, and he's turning it back now positively for we who are in Christ. Just note this, go back to your Bible and look in verses 7 and 8, it sets the stage, and then you'll see how the the thought continues. In verse 7 he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But then look how verse 9, then he's flipping it over. You, however, who's he speaking there? Who's the you? Yes, believers, right? Uh, he's speaking to uh, the Roman believers there in that church and us today. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Praise God for that, right? That's like there, amen to that. If, in fact, he says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so what he's making this distinction here is of those who, it's, it's of our standing, if you're in the flesh or in the Spirit. And now, like, make sure you, this is where the prepositions in our Bible are so uh, helpful for us and are so key to our understanding and right interpretation of the Bible. Because there's a difference here when he says, in the flesh versus of the flesh. In the flesh or in Christ is a thing that refers to our standing, our position, our unity. We're either in the flesh or in our sin, we're united to it, that's our master. Or we are in Christ, or what he's going to talk about here, in the spirit, those things which really are synonymous here, and our standing here. This is what he's talking He's not talking of the flesh, because even as we are in Christ, there are still times when we choose to act according to the flesh. Where the deeds of the flesh uh, uh, raise their ugly head in us and need to be put to death. That's what he's been talking about in chapter 7. Is, uh, if we would have been there, we would see this. Be saying, that's not what he's talking about. He said, but if you're in the spirit, meaning that you're controlled by, you're under the influence of, your life is dominated and characterized by the spirit of God. If indeed he dwells in you, he takes residence in you and makes his abode in you to take that first statement there in verse 9 and kind of switch around and say this, if the Spirit dwells in you, then you are in the Spirit. Like I said, this is very similar to being in Christ. It's, it's really synonymous here, that marriage union, that change in status then that leads to the change in thinking and living where we're becoming more like the other. In this case, we are becoming more like the Spirit, more like Christ and difference here is that the spirit is actually he he lives in us he makes his abode he dwells here warning us against sin you may be familiar with paul tells the corinthians first corinthians 6 19 he says or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god for you are not your own you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body it's Speaking of here, he's living in a similar to us, how like Christ came and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us, but the Spirit dwells in us, which is really just this continuation of the thoughts in Exodus that we saw there, God coming and dwelling and tabernacling among his people in the, in the tent of meeting there, now it being in us here by the Spirit of God. And here's the thing, church, we can't miss the greatness of God to come and dwell in uh, an, among us, we who are sinful humans. He didn't have to do it. It wasn't like, you know, that the Trinity was lacking in their interconnectedness and their relationships there. And you're like, you know what, we need to, this party's getting kind of boring between just the three of us. Two's company, three's a crowd. Maybe we need a multitude to come and worship us like that. Instead, he invites us in to come and dwell with him. But this maybe raises a question for us. How do we know that the Spirit dwells in us? It's just some feeling that we get. Is it some like trance-like thing? Is it like when we kind of get the heebie-jeebies and our hair stands on end? Is it something that comes out in how we say and how we live? Well, yeah, the Bible talks about this. How do we know 
that the Spirit of God dwells in us? Well, there's two evidences of it. The first, as outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, is this, that I confess Christ as Lord with my mouth. Maybe you're looking at your life and like, does the Spirit dwell in me? I don't know. Is the Spirit dwell in this person? Well, here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at this. It's on the screen here. Paul speaking to Corinthians right before he teaches on spiritual gifts. He says this, Therefore, I want you to understand. That's like a great like, phrase in the Bible. right? Anytime it's like, okay, I have to listen to this. I need to understand something. That no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 3. And it's a helpful distinction here because what he's saying is out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so someone where this Holy Spirit is dwelling in you cannot uh, curse Christ. You know, and there's the outright curse. Yeah, like, yeah we, the blasphemy uh, of Christ as Lord and all that. But it also like coming out in like, well, maybe Christ isn't enough. Maybe he's not the only way. Maybe he's just one among many. But if the Spirit of God is in you, know you're convinced of the exclusivity of Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, and only one with the Spirit in it can actually say Christ is Lord. That's, a, that's an expression of obedience of submission to Christ as our master, Christ as our Lord, that his ways are perfect and he has, some, uh, he has placed a, a way of living before us. It is his will now that I, uh, that I live and it is the spirit of God that brings us to that. And, and see, there's lots of people who have all kinds of God talk and things like, oh yeah, God, or even talking about Christ as our savior, meaning really like he's just, well, like he, he makes me feel good about myself. And yet, how we truly know the Spirit of God is at work in our life and in uh, the life of another is this confession that He is Lord and Master of my life, that I am no longer the Lord, the CEO, the owner of my life. Now, my life has been bought. I am under Christ. Have we confessed that? what we look for in salvation. Someone says, hey, I've been saved. I, I trust Christ. I want to be baptized. That's one of the things I look for is that, okay, does the Spirit of God dwell in this person so much that they're saying, I have submitted my life to Jesus as my Lord, as my master. Now, don't mix this like verse up and say, like, oh, Jesus is Lord is like some like the magic words. You just say that and like bada bing, bada boom, you're saved, right? It's not, you know, prayer, prayer, there's no magic words. This is what is coming out. Does the Spirit dwell in me? Well, if the Spirit is dwelling in you, then He is going to cause you. He is going to produce from within you this confession that Christ, you are my Lord. But there's a second way we know. It's not just in, you know, uh, in our words, but do I bear spiritual fruit with my actions? See, does the uh, walk match the talk? And Jesus was all about this. He referenced it many times, but particularly in Matthew 7, 17, 18, he says this, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. On and on he'll say it in other places, and the, the apostles pick this up. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in us can only produce this kind of spiritual fruit in us, where our life is now marked by the things of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, because He's in us now love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, righteousness, self-control. Did I get all those, right? I miss a few. 
These are the fruits of the Spirit. But it's like, therefore, if you are a Christian, if the Spirit of God lives in you, your life will show the evidence. Because He dwells in us, then our life will bear that spiritual fruit. Praise God for His work in us in that. But there's a second work of the Holy Spirit in these verses as it goes on here too. For the Spirit seals our place. And here's the thing, because the Spirit seals my place, my position before the Lord, I can persevere then in this life. And so come back to, to verse 9 because he kind of like flips back for a moment and then, and, and then brings us uh, back again to the positive sense. He says, anyone who does not then have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. All right, so he, he, he's like comparing and contrasting now in the verses of how we can know, are we a Christian? Is the Spirit in us? Well, he dwells in us. And how do we know? Well, has he sealed us? Do we belong to him? And verse 10 will go on to talk about our persevering in it. So he says, well, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong. And then, so note again the Trinitarian theology here. He calls it the Spirit of Christ. Now, this isn't like two separate spirits, right? That he's showing the unity of the members of the Trinity that are inseparable. They're indwelling in us. They're distinguishable, though inseparable and similar to how we view marriage, right? Two different people, but in this common bond of marriage. You know, my marriage, some of you have called us this before, but you know, I'm Blair and my wife is Aaron, and so uh, we're distinct people, but you put our names together and we're Blairin. And it's like our celebrity name, although we're, not, we're far from celebrities. But uh, uh, if, you just, if you forget which of us is which, yeah, because we have like, you know, there's girls named Blair and boys named Aaron and all that stuff. Just say Blairin and one of us will answer, right? We'll answer to both. But notice what it's saying here, because he's, he's talking about this idea to belong to him. And it's actually kind of like a negative way to communicate a positive reality that all who belong to Christ... All who've been chosen by God, called into the fold, gathered by the shepherd, have the Spirit in them. And so what do we make of this? Like, it's very simply stated here. All Christians have the Holy Spirit all the time. You belong to Him. He dwells in you. He has sealed you. And this really is the game changer in our life. This is why the Holy Spirit is the difference maker in our sanctification, in our walk with the Lord, because you have Him in you all the time. Now, this is different here than being filled by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. All that's different. Being filled by is it's not like don't think of a water and being filled up. Think of it as being motivated, like wind filling sails and moving you. And the Spirit moves us or fills us as He calls us to uh, you know, special assignments or into obedience. We're walking in the Spirit out of the overflow of this. But the reality is if you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you all the time. And this is a glorious reality for our daily life that at the moment of your regeneration, uh, every Christian really since the time of Pentecost in Acts 2 has received the Holy Spirit. And this, this reality is why Jesus says, it's better that I go away. It's better that uh, I leave this earth because somebody greater is coming. The helper is going to come and to dwell in you. Are you familiar with that? In John, where Jesus says, hey, it's better that I go away. And his disciples are like, what? In the, how can this be better? The Son of God is dwelling right alongside of us. And Jesus says, no, it's actually, it's actually better that I go away. Turn over there, because I want you to see this for a second. Go to Matt, or John chapter 14. John 14. Go over there. 
We'll pick it up in, oh, verse, John 14. Let's pick it up in verse 15. Just right after he's washed the disciples' feet, he's going to do communion with them right before he's about to be crucified. And Jesus is like laying down some truth here about a John 14, beginning verse 15. Just look at this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right? All right, you love me, you keep my commands. God's commandments are not burdensome. And I heard, he says, and I will, going on, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, this is before Acts 2. This is before what we're talking about now, this reality that Paul is preaching to us in uh, Romans 8. He's, Jesus is uh, prophesying. He's saying, hey, he's going to come and dwell in you. The spirit of truth will be in you, and this is for your good. He'll elaborate on. He talks about some other things. Go over to chapter 16 then. The world doesn't know this. The world's going to actually hate you because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And this makes you distinct from the ways that the world thinks. The Spirit renews our mind. We have a different way of viewing the world than the world does. But come to chapter 16 because he's going to now continue to talk about the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 4. Kind of intersects there in verse 4. Jesus is speaking. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? And not a kind of like a funny thing, like you're, we're getting some of Jesus' conversation with the disciples. He's like, I've been telling you that I'm leaving, and none of you are like, hey, Jesus, where are you going? They're just like kind of taking it in or something and asking. But he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I've just said, I'm leaving, you haven't asked me, and you're just sad about it. But if you just ask me, I would tell you, it's actually better. And that's what he's about to say. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I love it when Jesus says that, right? He's like, do we have any reason to doubt anything else you've said? But he's just accentuating it here to say, like, no, like, listen up, this is super important. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and they will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Amen, right? Satan, the enemy, he's the ruler of this world. He is judged. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12 says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You just love the grace of God and all that. Hey, I know I've just like laid a massive truth on you, disciples. I'm going to tell you more, but you need to process, you need to grow, you need to mature in these things, and then you will discover more of what I have. It's just like discipling kids, right? Like we can't just like throw all the adult truths that we know about the world on our little like eight-year-olds. As they grow, we will tell them more in the same way. God working with us as we grow, he gives us more understanding by the Holy Spirit. This is his work. Look at verse 13. Continue on. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Holy Spirit, Son of God, God the Father, all working in conjunction here. No one going rogue, no one speaking on their own authority, but the Holy Spirit glorifying Christ, shining the light on the truth of what Christ has taught and the truth of what Christ has done, all to the glory of God the Father. Through it all, this is the work of the Holy Spirit who is in us. We belong to Christ. He is in us, guiding us in the truth, convicting us of our sin, leading us in the way of righteousness. He then as our guide, the seal. Ephesians 1, he, Paul actually used this word to, uh, to, for this reality here. In Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it's on the screen here. In him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. And that, see, here's the here's the reality. Here's where it gets so cool. Like we, the Spirit is sealing us. He's doing this work. Christ left. Now He is doing this work in us. And because He is in us, now we will persevere in this life through the struggles, through the joys, through the things of this life. Because we belong to Him, He will not lose us. This church makes all the difference in our life in the here and now. Look at how verse ten takes it. Go back to uh, go back to Romans eight. I know we're kind of uh, using a lot to bolster our understanding here. Lots of cross-references, but come back into it, okay? Let me just pick up where we've been. The end of verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Inverse of that is true. You belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. But, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, right? Spirit in us, Christ is in us. Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This is what he's talking about in our perseverance. He's, in, in many ways, you can take the if. It's not like this conditional thing or this like doubtful thing. Since Christ is in you, it's a truth. Since he is in you, even though your body is dead because of sin, it's been corrupted. All of our bodies are decaying. We are all going to die because of sin. Our flesh is going to give out. We can eat healthy, work out, do all the things to try to prevent it or at least prolong death, and yet we cannot escape it. But that is not where our hope is, is it? Yet the Spirit is life. The Bible may interpret it differently. It might say the Spirit is alive. It's a poor translation. It's really life here. It's always life. The Spirit is life. He is the giver of life in Genesis 2. It is the Spirit who breathes life into these mortal bodies. It is the Spirit, spiritually speaking, who breathes life into our, uh, into our soul and uh, makes us alive because of righteousness, because of Christ's imputed righteousness. What Christ did on the cross, then the Spirit is the one who awakens, regenerates, generates our soul to faith the same way that the spirit of god breathed life into our bodies at our point of physical life here the point already established uh, in in romans 5 if we're reading there so what does this all mean 
Well, if the Spirit dwells in you, yes, your body is dying because of sin, but your spirit, uh, but the Spirit is at work bringing life into your life. What He did in the past, what He's doing right now, and what He will do in the future, this eternal life because of what Christ has won for us as well. And so grasp the significance of this redemption. Grasp the significance of this because even as believers, even though your health may be declining right now, will for sure someday, maybe you're feeling the aches and pains that come with growing old. Maybe you're at the place where cancer is eating away, that your flesh or your organs are failing or sitting up is just hard. Spirit, even you life, breathing spiritual life is doing a greater work in you. Maybe it's in a battle of your mind and the life is every day is seeming like an uphill battle where you're feeling the decay, where you can't shake the hurt of childhood or a past hurtful relationship, where, where the constant change of the world has you pulled in every direction and you don't know where to go, where the hurtful words from someone are on repeat in your mind and they are paralyzing you. Even in these moments where we are feeling the limits of our humanity and the, the, the effects of the decay of sin in our flesh, be patient. Be encouraged. The Spirit is working on your sanctification, conforming you more into the image of Christ. The, the Spirit here has sealed you that you belong to Him. All of this is even under His watchful, sovereign, good, providential, merciful care for you. The decay of your mortal bodies will never get the last word. Never. He has sealed you. You will persevere through this life. What the Spirit does. There's a third work in this text. Verse 11. The Spirit resurrects us. Because the Spirit resurrects us, I will live forever. We will live forever. Notice the activity of the Holy Spirit from first to last in our salvation, sealing us at our justification that we might belong to Him, guiding us in our sanctification as He dwells in us, and in the end, resurrecting us at our glorification. And so in verse 11, He like takes it then a step further. He said, well, the Spirit dwells in you, it actually like bookends and it's repeated multiple times so that we do not miss this glorious truth that the Spirit of God resides in us. The Spirit of God dwells in you. That Spirit is the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead after three days stone cold dead in the tomb and He gave Him. And here's the thing, He's going to do the same thing for you and me. If the Spirit dwells in us, we are looking ahead to that future glory here. This is what he's speaking of. Not, and many times this is like twisted to mean something different, but this is really what If the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from that dead, He's going to give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It's a look to the future glory. And unless... You know, in God's timing, unless we are alive when Jesus returns here, each of us will also be stone cold dead. But the Spirit on that day when Christ returns will resurrect these bodies, the dead, and Christ will rise first and give life to these mortal bodies when we meet Him in the air. But here's the thing, like our eternal life, this future glorification is a forgotten reality in our day when instant satisfaction rules the day. 
like we're so enamored with the here and now, my satisfaction as I'm scrolling through things of what makes me feel good right now, what food do I desire, what, what do I need, like what's going to make me the most happy in the moment. We're enamored with it. Everything around us says it. We're inundated with these influences that say this, live for the moment, live for the feeling. What makes you feel good must be most right. Our Bible looks at that thinking and the spirit of the age in that and says, don't find your joy in such temporal things. The Holy Spirit has something better, something internal in store for us. Life forever with God, worshiping Christ in his presence forever. This brought to us by uh, the work of Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who will resurrect us, who has become a permanent, eternal resident in us, constantly shining the light on Christ through our life. And in every struggle and everything, he's just the Spirit's job is just pointing us back to Christ, the satisfaction that we have in him, the, the enablement that we have, the example that we have in Christ. That's why we sang the song, yet not I, but through Christ in me, Christ, the Spirit of Christ working in us. The Spirit is just constantly shining the light, turning our attention to the greater realities, the greater satisfaction that we find in Christ alone. And church, this is the difference maker in our walk with Christ. It's the difference maker in our life, even now, that we have the ongoing help of the Holy Spirit and the future of promises of uh, what God will do. You may get to a place where it seems like, you know what, your life, my life has no purpose. Or you're stuck, you feel like, I'm going nowhere. This relationship, I've prayed many times and it's not going anywhere. Maybe you feel like you're at the end of your rope, you're at the, that your life is over. But here's the case. What seems to be the case is not often what is true. It's in these moments when we come to these, the truths of the scripture and what God is doing and what is greater in us where we are faced with the decision, will I believe what the scripture says? Will I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing a good work? Will I believe that Christ is enough? Will I believe that God is being glorified through this even when it doesn't seem to be the case? When it comes to this and our future hope, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have life now and forever. That's a truth that makes all the difference in the world, is it not? Let's pray. God in heaven, uh, here we are. Here we are, Lord, under just the, the weightiness of these truths and, and, and trying to grapple with what it means to be in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And yet we, uh, Lord, we believe that, uh, that this is true. We need your help to live it out. We need your help to, uh, uh, to uh, put this into practice. Or so even as we examine our lives, even now, God, what fruit are, uh, is, is true? God, give us eyes to see. What, what fruit is my life bearing? Where am I looking when times are hard? Where am I casting my eyes? Is it on the problem or is it on Christ, the future that I have, his promises? 
And so, Lord, even to ask these questions, we're inviting, we're asking uh, that you, Spirit, would do that work in our hearts even now. Thank you, God, for the opportunity. We have to live this out even this week, even as we head back to work, even as we uh, interact with our neighbors and everybody's asking the question, how are we thinking about what's going on in the world? God, thank you for the opportunity just to bring uh, attention back to the good news of Jesus Christ. Back to the joy of following his daily extend to your creation. So help us in that now, God. Even as we declare you are our King, our Lord, we do so from a place of belonging to you. Thank you, God. Pray these things now in Christ's name.